Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hey, everybody. What's going on? This is Eric J. Olson, and I am here for another live interview for the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview America's top managing partners to find out how they're growing their law firms and what they're doing specifically to fill their case pipeline. So today I have David Kirsch, all the way from New York. How's it going, David? Good morning. Going pretty well. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. I appreciate you making the time to be with us. So let me tell the audience a little bit about you. David Kirsch is a former prosecutor and an accomplished criminal defense attorney with many years of experience practicing throughout the state of New York. His office handles every type of case from petty larceny, DWI slash DUI, narcotics-related offenses, assault, burglary, robbery, and homicide. And I think there's even a few other practice areas that you guys do. So appreciate your time. Um, Yeah, if you could, tell us a little bit more about you and your firm. Okay, so uh, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, outside of law school, I was hired a prosecutor in Bronx County, and I was a prosecutor there for about six years or so. And as the bio said, we in six years in the Bronx, you deal with any sort of case imaginable. So I started off small with small petty crimes like petty larceny, DWI, and then eventually I joined the narcotics unit where I focused on narcotics-related offenses and more serious, violent felonies. And, uh, you know, after six years, it was, uh, it was my time to go. And I started applying to uh, different uh, positions. And then uh, my old law firm, they actually found me. And uh, essentially for the last eight to nine years prior to my current law firm, I was there at a law firm by the name of Kohler and Isaacs. And we were the in-house counsel for the Department of Corrections. So any correction officer and other unions, but mostly the Department of Corrections in the city of New York, there were 10,000 members at that time, I handled their criminal and disciplinary work. So if a correction officer was either arrested for something that in jail or outside of jail, or they were investigated for something inside or outside of jail, I was their union counsel. And I did that for quite some time uh, until 2020 until November of 2020, where I moved over to the law firm that I'm at now, where I am managing a full-scale trust and estates and elder law law firm. And I also have started my own criminal and uh, disciplinary division here as well. It's been a wild year. And uh, another fun fact, I actually didn't uh, tell you this yet, but um, I actually was also elected a judge on June 15th, where I live at in Long Island in uh, the village of Great Neck. So I'm a judge handling traffic, parking, and building and zoning matters as well. So it's been, uh, COVID has been, uh, it's been tough, but it's also been uh, rewarding at the same time. Well, congratulations on that. That is really interesting. Now, what are the restrictions on being a judge? It sounds like part-time judge, part-time lawyer. How do those two cross or not cross paths? Well, this is how they cross paths. In, in certain instances, you know, when you get elected locally and you have congregants or litigants coming in front of you, uh, there are certain instances where I have to recuse myself. Yeah. You know, if I know someone too well, uh, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't bode well if I was their judge for whatever case that's in front of me. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is that many criminal defense attorneys, they also practice in uh, traffic court. And as a local justice in Long Island, 
I'm actually prohibited from practicing in any of those traffic courts because you have to be completely partial as a judge. So when it comes to traffic matters and some other matters, I'm on the judge side at this point. So uh, that was a uh, I have a four year term and I just began. So um, we'll see how it goes. You know, I I think a lot of uh, people that are not in the law industry don't realize that. And it's not and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not a lawyer, by the way, but um. But that some judges, not all judges, but some judges are elected, others are appointed. Yeah. So could you kind of explain when one's elected versus appointed? Well, so it varies from state to state, um, certainly. Uh, Federal judges are generally, whereas state judges or local judges, for the most part, there is an election that's held. So, for instance, in my uh, village, the village of Great Neck, where I'm a judge, there is an election every four years for the judge position. So I actually almost ran for it four years prior, but I wasn't the right timing for me. And I was, um, you know, I was asked to do it again. And thankfully, uh, this time I ran. It was my first time ever running for any public office. And uh, we did quite well. Now, other positions, you know, there could be deaths of judges. And at which point someone is appointed mm-hmm. for a temporary term until the elected term is completed. But on a local level, more of the judge positions are actually elections, whereas on the federal level, they have a lot more appointments. So my, my guess is that being a judge is, is probably not potentially as lucrative as being a lawyer. That's a big assumption. I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm... You're doing well with that one. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it definitely shows a, a love for what you do. Right. Because you, you've had to you, you can't take certain cases now and other cases you have to recuse yourself. And so, well, I mean, you've had to change your practice because of that. Right. Correct. There, It's it's not all gravy, as they say. Yeah. And, um, it's more work. You know, you have a court staff and uh, there's certain requirements that you have to keep up with the New York State Comptroller's Office monthly. And uh, I have two little children at home or relatively little. I got an eight and a six year old. And um, the judge time takes away from bedtime. So yeah. my wife is certainly thrilled with that. But uh, it's rewarding as well. So you always take the, uh, the positives with the negatives and you roll with them. And I think during uh, COVID, if you have not been doing that, you're in a bad place today. So you have to yeah. stay positive and keep moving forward. Once again, congratulations on that. Yeah, I did not know that. That is really, really interesting. Um, you know, you, you mentioned COVID and we were chatting a little bit before we, we went live about, uh, you know, I think everyone's aware of the impact of COVID working from home. What are your thoughts, though, on the future of like working from home as a lawyer representing clients and maybe even doing trials remotely? So um, I have a real opinion on this. Um, I have not stopped working since COVID actually began. I did the last criminal trial in Manhattan, which was a six defendant trial. And we concluded that mid-March of 2020. So we were actually working before they even knew that you had to wear masks or guided us to wear masks. We were working in a full courtroom with 500 spectators, six defendants, the DA, jury of 12. And uh, we were working there. And then ultimately everything shut down. Initially, everything was virtual. There was no in there was no in-person court in the criminal context besides the fact in certain cases where they wanted to actually throw you in jail, they would open the court special for you if you violated parole or probation to literally bring you 
to jail. That was the whole purpose of opening the court. But since then, uh, most of the courts are still virtual, although they're sort of going into a new sphere where some courts are doing in-person and they're doing virtual and it's a hybrid. And truth be told, it's, it's confusing because sometimes you don't even know what you're doing. You gotta find out the day before, am I going to Queens? Am yeah. I going to my desktop? Where is it gonna be? But with respect to criminal law and disciplinary law, I do, as I said, I chair criminal and disciplinary law division here. With disciplinary law, they don't actually give you an option. You have to do trials virtually. Hmm. That's how the trials actually occur. In criminal court, they're still giving you the option as to whether or not you would consent to a virtual court, a virtual trial, or you would want it to be in person. Me, I always want to be in person. I represent people that were accused of either crimes or violations at their occupation, their job. And I always feel that one of the biggest cornerstones of American jurisprudence is that you should have the right to face your accusers. And I feel that you should be able to face them in person, not over a screen that's buffering where someone could be sitting next to their morning cereal. I don't feel that's the way to go. I actually have a trial next week that's going to be virtual, a disciplinary trial, but that's how the chief judges of those venues have determined trials will be moving going forward. So it's interesting when it just comes to you just having a regular appearance and you're just checking in on a case that's going to get adjourned anyway, a virtual appearance, I, I believe is fine, but to actually do real work, to do hearings and yeah. trials and things of that nature, I feel that it's somewhat uh, disadvantageous to the clients, to the people that are actually accused to go with that route. But in terms of business related, the virtual has been helpful to many people that have practiced in my field, especially in the field of criminal and disciplinary law, because you're able to take on cases that perhaps you would not have taken on in years past. Like I've handled a bunch of cases upstate in Orange County and in um, Sullivan County cases that I never would have really taken only because it would have brought me away from my office for the whole day. And it really would not have been worth it to me. And more importantly, it would not have been worth it to the client for me to pay for me the whole day to be driving to go upstate. Now, in some of these instances, people hired me. I never even met them. They hired me electronically. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. I'm going to court in a month and I'm actually looking for them on the screen, the virtual screen to see what my client looks like. Oh, wow. You know, if you would have, someone would have told you about this in 2019, you would have thought this is like some very odd sci-fi novel. This sounds crazy, but um, it became reality. So same thing with uh, with all the virtual stuff. Some of it is completely out of it, out of your control. Some of it is in your control, but I believe it is, it's here to say, it's here to stay because the municipalities, the cities, the states, they've invested millions and millions of dollars towards all of this equipment. And I can't imagine that COVID comes and, 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 and it's finished. And hopefully we do get to that point. My mouth to God's ears. But I can't imagine that they're just going to throw out the millions of dollars that they put into these resources and this equipment that still has some value in certain instances. Hey there, this is Eric J. Olson, the CEO of Array Law. If you're ready to work with a world-class digital marketing company, reach out. You can find us online at ArrayLaw.com or call us at any time, 
333-3021. It's a really interesting point that you made about the, uh, the, the criminal trials, though, uh, and being able to uh, you know, see your accuser in person. There's a big difference between, you know, in person, in the same physical space and just doing it, you know, with, with this kind of like emotional barrier, if you will, uh, even somewhat of a human and psychological barrier called the internet between the two of you. So um, I, I get your point on that. You're absolutely correct. I mean, a virtual trial is not so much dissimilar than what we're doing right now. Other than the fact that you're putting documents in and you're sharing it on a screen. Yeah. The formality of the process, a hearing or a trial, it's it's not present. Yeah. When you deal with these uh, virtual hearings and trials. As you can tell, I'm not a big proponent of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and I get what you're saying about um, the big infrastructure investment in virtual. My opinion, and it's just intuition, is that this virtual thing is going to unwind over the next couple of years. And it'll actually be seen as an advantage to conduct business or law in person uh, because anyone can do virtual and the barriers of entry are super low. Now, you know, in the law industry is different um, because you, you have actual legit certifications, but like in my industry and in most businesses, you could just declare that you do that thing and you do that thing. There's no state regulations, right? Uh, so I would imagine that uh, generally speaking, it'll be unwinding a little bit over time. I would think that the law would follow as well. Do you, do you think maybe that could be the case? Well, I think the courts right now are operating on, and I do. I deal with probate court and surrogates court as well. Like I said, you have uh, trust in the states and elder law practice here, but I think the courts, mostly are going towards a a double model where certain things are in person yeah certain things are virtual a hybrid if you will that's what they're doing um i see them doing that for the time being and some of that could be that some of the judges aren't ready themselves to come back to work to their office for whatever reasons and then unions get involved yeah um, that's then, right and then court battles happen and then sometimes higher ups you know the powers that be decide do we really want to get going with the court battle now when we could just do what we've been doing for the last 12, 14 months. So there's a lot of issues that go into all that, but I could say in terms of managing a practice, managing a law practice, all of this virtual stuff is absolutely great because I have a lot of elderly clients that just are immobile yeah. or even if they do come in, it is a real effort to get them out of the house. And sometimes, you know, People even now in going to be October tomorrow, in October of 2021, they're not so happy to be interacting with people. They have underlying medical conditions, but you have the same conversation on a Zoom, get them on a Zoom or a WebEx, and we're consulting with them. We're having meetings and you could create a situation where they would only have to be present for like an execution of documents where everything else could all be done virtually. And that really was only being used by big businesses prior to COVID. You know, big businesses had all of the technical uh, capabilities to do video conferences and things of that nature. Yeah. Where small businesses or, or solo practitioners, they wouldn't even think about yeah. carrying that expense because it was prohibitive. Now, everything is affordable. Yeah. And I do believe that much of this virtual stuff is here to stay. It's not going to be in the same capacity. Yeah. Here, judges and lawyers get paid to go to the courtroom. I can't right. wait to go to the courtroom, but not That's everyone right. shares that sentiment. 
So yeah. I think it's we're headed towards a hybrid model for the foreseeable future. And then I guess we'll see what happens with COVID and hopefully no new variants pop up and Delta is the end. Of it. That's right. Well, cool. Now, I, I appreciate your thoughts on that, uh, especially uh, with your experience as now as a judge and as a managing partner and a lawyer. Let's shift a little bit. Just one last thing on this. As a judge, as soon as I, as soon as I took over as a judge, everything was in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. And, and I have heard that from managing partners, not managing partners that are not also judges like you, David. Uh, but they'll say, well, you know, judges want things in their courtroom. They, they yes. want proceedings to happen in their courtroom. So. Correct, correct. And I was a brand new judge. I was just starting. I wasn't going to start court on a virtual or a hybrid format. I'm like, there you go. You know, and, and that's, that's how we've been all along. And thankfully everyone is required to wear masks and it's been going fine. Cool. Good for you. We are going a little bit long, so I want to respect your time. I want to ask one question about marketing. All right. So putting on your, your managing partner hat, when it comes to getting new clients and getting their attention, what's one thing that is working especially well for you? And like we all know referrals, referrals are great, but besides referrals, what's one thing that is working especially well for you? And also what's one thing that is, or has not worked well for you that you no longer do? Well, I think we all say referrals is the best revenue of course. In business. So referrals comes in a couple of different ways. It comes from other attorneys that send them our way. It comes from marketing, paper play, things of that nature. But I think in my whole career, the best marketing is actually just doing good work. If you do good work, people will find you. People that you've already represented in the past, they will give your number to whoever it is and the calls will always come in. So you have to do some marketing. I have a website um, for my criminal stuff, Nassau DWI Law, uh, to attract some business in that manner. I've done some legal marketing that without calling out the actual names of the companies, because I don't have anything positive to say, um, where I felt that I, I was paying whatever it was, 400 to 900 a month, whatever the budget was that their people called for to pay. And there really wasn't much from that. I think when it comes to actual legal marketing, unless, you know, ultimately organically, things could follow later on. But when you first start in an endeavor, whatever the endeavor is, whatever company you're doing, you're doing pay for play. I think you actually have to legitimately pay a lot to play or else you're just throwing money. away. That's really what, what I have found out in the last several years. So if you don't have a budget that's in the thousands yeah. and you may not have that budget, it's going to be problematic to actually just pay and the clients are going to be coming in. Uh, and you'll have to hold them at the door. Uh, you need to have a serious budget that you need to allot for a serious budget. And if you could sustain it, you pay the money and then the clients will come in. Short yeah. of that, or even not short of that, you do good work, people will come. That's, I think that's great advice. Yeah, of course, uh, you always have to do good work. You have to know what you're doing. Uh, and referrals are excellent. We love referrals here just as much as any other person who's in business. And, and they, they come with the highest trust, no doubt about it. But you're absolutely right. There is a danger. So one of the fellows here uh, says this all the time. There's a danger in under investing in marketing or maybe not danger, a risk. There's a risk because it may feel like you're spending a good amount of money. Like you said, uh, $500,000, maybe even like $2,000 a month. 
But if it's less than what is required to actually get the attention and the clicks, and sometimes these clicks for lawyers, depending on the practice area, can be quite expensive. There's different ways you can attract clients, pay-per-click like you talked about. There's search engine optimization, which actually builds up value over time. There's a good website. There's social media, but even social media, you have to really invest in time and money in order to really make it start producing for you. So underinvesting is a risk. It sure is. It's yeah. just one quick note. I didn't even have social media until November of uh, 2021. I didn't even have it. I didn't need it as I was a prosecutor for six years. And then I worked for a very large law firm that kept me very busy with thousands of clients that I didn't really have to go out and get my own clients. So when I left my old law firm, I started with social media, yep. you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all that stuff. And yeah. you know, I accumulated, you know, in under a year, I have about over 5,000 contacts um, organically just on my own. And that has been quite helpful as well in terms of getting business, just showing people that already know you what you're doing. right. Now. Yeah. But that doesn't happen by accident. You put effort into that. Correct. A lot, yeah. a lot of effort. And a lot. Of yeah. Effort. Good for you. That That's quite impressive. So if you reached, I mean, what, so in the last uh, 10 months or so, you, you started getting into social media, just 2020, November, 2020, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. So you, you've, you've done quite well. That's for sure. Well, David, Hey, I, I, I really appreciate it. If someone would like to reach out to you and uh, ask you questions about what it's like to be a judge, what it's like to run a law firm or anything else that you talked about here or beyond, what's a good way for them to get in touch with you? Okay. So they could always reach me at my website, which is NassauDWILaw.com. Uh, they could email me at davidkirschlaw at gmail.com. Or they could uh, call me over here at my office at 631-470-9753 and just ask for David Kirsch. Cool. Thanks, David. All right, everybody. If you would like to watch or listen to more excellent episodes like this where we interview America's top managing partners, you can check out our entire backlog of interviews at ArrayLaw.com slash podcast. We have over 120 at this point. And then if you are interested in doing something for your law firm to get the attention of ideal prospects, to increase your digital marketing, that's what my company, Array Digital, does. You can check us out at ArrayLaw.com, and we can explain our website, SEO, online advertising, and social media services. All right, David, once again, thanks so much. You're welcome.